So today, like Adrian mentioned, we are going through the book of Micah in the Old Testament. Micah is the sixth minor prophet. And if you have your Bibles with you, you're going to want to go ahead and turn to Micah because we're going to be highlighting uh, several things throughout there. Micah is one of the longer books of the minor prophets, weighing in at a whole seven chapters. And so you could spend a little bit of time each day this week reading through that in your Bible reading time and kind of uh, absorbing that and uh, the themes that we're going to talk about today and kind of see how they work together and continue to be timeless for, for us now. If there's one word to sum up the theme of Micah, it would be the word judgment. Like, yay. That's, that's why I come to church, is because I want to be judged, and I want to talk about judgment. I, I mean, sometimes we, we hear that word, and depending on what your faith background is, or what your experience with church has been, or with Christians could be, you could be all over the place in what you think about when you hear, hear that word. It might not sound all that surprising based on your impression of the Old Testament. It's like, oh yeah, God's always, he's judging people, and you know, there's anger there, and all that kind of stuff. Let's just, just kind of stick to the, to the New Testament that's a little bit more palatable. We enjoy that. But there are two perspectives on God as judge that we need to correct. And so we're going to do that this, this morning. The first perspective on God that I see as judge most popularly presented is that God is the judge that throws the book at you. To this day, I'm a little bitter that I was cited for running a red light on Gaskins Road as a teenager, I pointed out the spot to my family uh, the, other, the, other, the other week, and what had happened was, my side of the story is that the light was actually yellow, and it turned red as I was going under the physical light, which is on the other side of the intersection. The police officer, who was well behind me and couldn't actually see where I was in the intersection, felt like I had run the red light. And when I got to the judge and I told him my side of the story, he said, oh, that's very well reasoned. I appreciate that. I'm going to let you off. No, he, did, he didn't do that at all. It, I did not get left off the hook, and I went to driving school to get the points off my record and all that kind of stuff. So I still, I'm still a little bitter about that, and I hold that in, in my heart a little bit, that the judge that threw the, the, threw the book at me, even though I felt like it was unjust in that moment. And so maybe that's one of the ways that we think of, of God as judge. He's, he's, he's angry, you know, he's throwing, throwing the book at me. And maybe that's how you think of the Old Testament. Or, or maybe the other perspective that you have on God is, is maybe more like, you know, how you perceive the New Testament to be, even though there's not really any difference between the, the two Testaments and how God is presented. And that is the judge that lets you off the hook. Now, I have never had this experience before in my life. I don't know if you had. I've stood in front of a judge a couple different times, a couple, yeah, a couple different times in my life. It's none of your business uh, why. And actually, I told you one. I won't tell, tell you the other. And I have never been let off the hook. The closest I ever came is, again, in high school, I was driving maybe a little more quickly than I should have been in Goochland County, and a sheriff's deputy uh, turned around and caught up to me. And uh, he, instead of giving me a ticket when he saw that we were less than a mile away from my house, he said, I'll just follow you home and talk to your parents. So he let me off the hook. My parents did not leave me, let me off the hook at all. And here's, here's what I say, would say about those two popular perspectives about God as judge in, in those moments. He's either the one that throws the book at you or the one that lets, lets you off the hook. God is both of those judges, and he is neither of those judges all at the same time. God creates, here, here's why I say that. God creates us and establishes law. He establishes right and wrong. 
the mark for what it means to be human. And when we miss that mark, it's called sin. That's what sin means. It means missing, missing the mark. And God is holy. He wouldn't be God without being holy, and his righteousness doesn't allow him to accept our sin. And thus, he throws the book at us in that he holds us accountable to our sin. All right? However, the way that he holds us accountable to our sin is by giving us love and mercy through the gift of grace in Jesus, who takes on the consequences of our sin on, onto himself in our place, and thus, and thus lets us off the hook. However, he doesn't just leave us in that state of limbo as a disciple of Jesus. So it's not like God throws the book and then he takes it away, lets us off, and then we, you know, kind of, kind of go about on our way or in this just state of okay, we just exist now. That's not what happens as disciples of Jesus. You know, we don't. God doesn't say, okay, somebody else has paid your fine. Now you're off the hook. Go and do whatever you want. Through the Holy Spirit, as we continue to work out our salvation, become more like Christ. God is making things new, and he's making things right in us and through us in our lives. And so when we think about God as judge or that he is meeting out judgment in the Old Testament, it's not that he is sending down a condemnation, and then we have to deal with the results of that in, in, our, in our lives. It's actually that God is making things right. And so God is very different from the way that we think of judges or the way that we think of judgment or maybe how we've interacted with those things in, in our life. There is a much more holistic progression there for God's involvement in our life through those moments of judgment, that he sees it all the way through from the beginning all the way to the end where the end goal and the end result is redemption, reconciliation, and making things right. And here's why God is needed as a judge. Here, there are four main themes throughout all of the prophets in, in the Old Testament, and they are, they are idolatry, immorality, empire or kingdom building, and justice, which deals with people. And I'm going to explain how those break down in just a little bit. With this in mind, though, uh, let's jump into the text. So Micah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all of you, listen earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. The sentence that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, is that, that's not a happy sentence. I mean, that, that's not going to elicit some joyful feelings. That, that's kind of one of those, oh, oh man, you know, whatever's coming next is going to be really, really serious. And in the mid-8th century BC, this is where we find Micah living in the southern kingdom of Judah. At that time, Israel had been separated into a northern king, and a, southern, uh, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The capital of the northern kingdom was Samaria. The capital of the southern kingdom was Judah. We find two of the tribes of Israel in southern kingdom Judah. The other ten are in the northern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom first gets overrun by the Assyrians, and that kind of wipes them out. And the southern kingdom later on gets wiped out by the Babylonians. They get, they get taken out. And that's kind of a little bit of history of what happens here, what the prophets are talking about throughout all of, all of the Old Testament. And during Micah's day, he's given the task of warning both kingdoms of God's promised impending judgment and these things that happen throughout their history. In chapter 1, idolatry, remember idolatry, immorality, empire, and justice are the four main themes of, of the prophets. And different ones focus on different issues. In chapter 1 of Micah, idolatry and its subsequent immorality are called out. So here's, here's what God says. Verse 6, therefore I will make Samaria... By the way, we're going to move through these texts 
pretty pretty quickly as we go through, but you can spend more time in them in your in your personal uh, reading and study. Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy her images. Since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes, as the wages of prostitutes they will again be used. Because of this, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. For Samaria's plague is incurable. It has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. Maybe that's not familiar language to us in the way that it's structured there, but the thing that we need to understand is the state of the kingdom of God's people who are meant to be set apart from the world, who are meant to be the hope through which the world understands who God is, doesn't look anything like the people of God. And they completely turned away from who God has called them to be. And this is a big problem because they are supposed to be the people through which the hope of the world is, is to come. And so God is, is judging them for, for that, and, and rightfully so. As we keep reading through the book, we discover that it's not limited to idolatry and immorality. There's also gross injustice perpetu perpetuated by the political and religious ruling class as well. So in Micah 2, we keep going, and we hear this, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light they carry it out, because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. And this is not, you know, when Micah is saying these things, he's not saying these as an example of something else. He's saying this is what's actually happening. I mean, there's, there's gross injustice hap happening through the empire and kingdom building that's going on in the nation of God's people. And Micah is pointing out things that are clearly spoken out against in the law that God gives the nation of Israel for them to be set apart. And so we also find these issues of empire and kingdom building and justice at play in Micah. In fact, those are the issues that dominate the rest of Micah's message throughout the rest of the book, who's calling out political leaders and prophets whose messages align with the politics of the day and match the rest of the world rather than God's word. And something that kind of represents what's going on here and how the, uh, particularly the faith leaders are leading in, in this time um, my second favorite verse of Micah uh, gives a little bit of attention to false prophets and what's going on there and what the problem is. Micah chapter 2, verse 11, this is my second favorite, second favorite verse in the entire book, uh, says this, If a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. Listen, listen, it would give me no greater pleasure than to put a free beer sign out on the front of the, the building on our sign out, out there. But that would only be fun for a few weeks. I mean, let's, let's be honest. At some point down the road, that's going to become pretty problematic for a number, for a number of different uh, reasons and levels fairly quickly. And so while Micah's message here is certainly directed to the responsibility of Israel's political and religious, religious leadership, which is not as separate as, as we think maybe in our, our culture how those things are, there's also some commentary for the state of mind of those who are being led. Because not, the, the problem isn't just with Israel's bad kings, and it's not just with Israel's bad prophets. It's also that the people in the nation are allowing themselves to be led astray by them. And that's also part of the problem and issue within these messages. 
So much of the call, see how this connects to, to us and how we interact with God's word and how we're led by it and how we're guided by it and how we interact with the world around us. So much of the cultural commentary we are inundated with, marketing strategies, social engineering through companies who want to keep us on their sites, you know, with ad revenue and, um, and uh, what's the word, headlines, you know, that, that we read that are just to, just to get us to stay on, on, the, on the site and read through just the junk that people are putting out, uh, is centered around ideas of letting our passions and desires dictate our actions and life goals. Or, or maybe just to be consumed by the moment and, and only be con- concerned with what we want when we want it, without any concern or consideration for the long-term consequences or impact. Much of the attention in Micah's message is on how people are being led, and be sure leaders are held to a higher standard of responsibility and accountability. Absolutely. But even as every single one of us is under leadership, we are also responsible in how we lead ourselves, and maybe more accurately in how we allow God to lead us. It's not an either-or, oh, that means that we should reject all leadership and we should only do our own thing, but a both-and. While we respect leadership, we also have a responsibility to make sure it's consistent with God's word because sometimes our preferences get in the way of what should be our priorities. In the early church, Paul even warns this to a young evangelist that he is mentoring in the name of Timothy uh, to preach and lead churches, and he encourages him to be aware of this phenomenon and this reality as he takes on the responsibility of leadership within the church. So we read in 2 Timothy 4, Paul telling Timothy, hey, preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So you see, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, nothing has really changed because that still continues to happen. That was the problem that Micah was dealing with, is that people were allowing themselves to be turned away through their desires and gathering around teachers you know, that they were willing to listen to and be led astray, astray by. You know, this is something that Micah and his fellow prophets throughout history are dealing with. This is the same thing that, you know, leaders, leaders today in the church are dealing with. The same thing that we as people who are following Jesus are dealing with uh, today. It's not a unique problem among the kingdoms of Israel, but this habit of large swaths of people who find out how to get what they want and prefer to exploit that over what is good and right and true. You know, that's, how we, that's how we get down to the line, get down the line and look around and say, man, this doesn't look anything like God has called us, called us to look. And that's why this pattern over which we need God as judge is so prevalent on a macro and micro scale. So it's, it doesn't just exist, you know, in the Old Testament for the kingdoms of Israel. It exists throughout history for all empires, for all kingdoms, for all people, for all lives. And so we talked about this before, the four things, idolatry, immorality, empire, and justice. And here's how those things work. Idolatry are priorities that are placed on people, places, things, or experiences, or identities that are over God. And this is what brings about immorality in our lives. Our personal morality and ethics are developed by what we think we can get out of what we worship, or just our passions and desires. And so that's one of the patterns that God deals with through the prophets. And eventually, this leads into building, uh, kingdom building. And so that can either be on a wide scale through countries, 
and empires, or it can be through in our personal lives, the way that we build our own personal kingdoms. And so those empires that we build are the structures that maybe start off with good intentions. This is what I want for my life. This is what I want to see created. But when they exist to perpetuate control, to sustain the structure, they end up eventually, inevitably, ignoring the people that the structure is supposed to be in benefit for, and that creates problems with justice. And so the justice that God deals with in Scripture are when individuals and groups are left behind in favor of the machine. And so Micah's, Micah's message throughout the whole book is primarily centered around this issue of justice that comes through empire building, which comes as a result of idolatry and immorality. All of these things are entangled. And so the next several verses from Micah 3 are a really good summary of the main theme of Micah's prophetic message. And so you can highlight that this is, is kind of like, hey, here's a, here's a good section that says, this is what this is all about. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. So what Micah is saying in his message that he is preaching to both kingdoms is that God is not going to sit idly by and just watch. Watch your greed and oppression of the poor your, your dealings of immorality and evil and greed um, continue on without judgment. Everything that you think that you are building that is making Israel great is actually tearing the nation down. And because of this bad leadership, the nation that is supposed to be set apart from everyone else is just starting to look like the rest of the world. And that's something that's not just reserved, as we talked about before, for the nation of Israel and for the prophets and for the people of God centuries in the past. It's also the same message that we need to hear and be reminded of that, that God gives us and how we live out our faith together and share Jesus with other people. It should teach us a couple things as we read through Micah. The first is this. Do not put... We ought not to put our hope and trust in political and empire building to adequately or accurately encompass who we ought to be as human beings. That is not what the whole of our faith and trust is in. Can we and should we utilize those avenues in healthy God-honoring ways? Yes. Yes, those structures exist at the pleasure of God's, God's will. Politics deal with people, and God cares about people. Where we get into trouble is where, when we build kingdoms that don't look like the kingdom of God, and we get caught up in focusing only on that in our lives. As close as we could possibly get a country or a nation or an empire or kingdom, as, possible, as close as we could possibly get it to perfection, it eventually will not last. It will be corrupted because the kingdoms we build inevitably on our own strength and our own wisdom become about us or the kingdom itself rather than about God. During Micah's ministry as a prophet, God's warnings for the northern kingdom of Israel and southern kingdom of, of Judah come to pass, but they come to pass in different timelines and with different results. The Assyrians come along, they, they wipe out the northern kingdom of Israel. So those 10 tribes are, uh, so typically when you would conquer somebody, you would take them out of their homeland so they wouldn't be able to rise up against you. It's a way to hold down insurrection. And so they were taken and, uh, and, and, 
made to live in other places. Around the same time as the Assyrians come back, and you can look through this in history in, in Scripture, in 2 Kings, you can also look at this in extra-biblical history. So, this, I mean, this is well-documented stuff and what the Assyrians did and how they interacted with, um, with the Israelites. Uh, they come back to the southern kingdom of Judah, and, and they are not successful in taking that. That comes later when Babylon happens. And the difference in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom at that same time period in history, in mid-8th century, is that in the southern kingdom of Judah, there was a king named Hezekiah who became king and, and brought the entire nation, kingdom of Judah, into repentance. And so they come along, Sennacherib comes along from Assyria and he comes and lays siege to them and ends up having to leave, is not successful because Hezekiah turns the nation of Ju- the kingdom of Judah back to, back to God. And so there's this wholly different experience in what you would think. So, so you would think, oh, what they really need to do is establish more military might. They needed to have Egypt come in and, you know, they needed more allies, all these kinds of things to fight against the Syrians who were coming to try to sweep them away. And what really made the difference between the, the two kingdoms was that Hezekiah turned everybody to God's leadership. Hezekiah follows God and Judah survives Sennacherib's siege of Jerusalem. And it's because of this, because as much as Micah is about God's judgment, it's also about how God judges, like we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, is that God just doesn't provide a condemnation. He also makes things right. He's there from the beginning to the end, and God has always been about fulfilling his promise to restore his people, because making things right and fulfilling his word is how God judges. So that's when we get to Micah chapter 5. And we read this, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. For some of you, this might sound familiar, because most of the time we read that passage at Christmas. Because Matthew, in Matthew chapter 2, calls back to this very passage and how he describes the coming of Jesus. Because God, God is not going to, even, even though the judgment is there and it's righteous and it's needed, that judgment always brings us to God's redemption and to his hope. And so when, when, we, when we think about the context in which we live, we all live within a kingdom. We all live within an empire, no matter where we live in the globe. While we interact with and live within our godly responsibilities as citizens who live within a nation, whatever nation that, that might be, there's a different ruler whose shepherding we look to for our policies and platforms that build the kingdom Jesus came to establish, one that isn't just another form of governance, but that sets all things right and calls us to who we're actually supposed to be and how we're actually called to live, where greed, oppression, violence, and injustice have no place. And chances are that because we get caught up in the whirlwind of the context in which we live, we've been complicit in some of these things along the way. So we don't get to just look at the nation of Israel and think, how in the world could they get to this place? Because we live within a broken, a world that's broken by sin. So inevitably, we get carried away by these same things, the idolatry, the immorality, the empire, the, in, the injustice. And so the messages of the prophets are so timely for us. We can look throughout the course of history sometimes and wonder, how, could, how do people get to the point where atrocities exist? 
us. You know, how could, how could anybody uh, let this happen? Well, when you get caught up in the ends justifying the means and make these little, you know, or sometimes broad compromises in fo following God, you can find yourself a lifetime away from who God has created you to be. And that brings us to the second takeaway, the second thing we should learn for why God's judgment is just and what, what it teaches and why we need it. It's that the way that we do things matters more than the result. Um, I, I don't think this would be a popular self-help meme that would go around on social media. I'm, I'm pretty sure it, it wouldn't ex exist like that. Um, the result often is more important in, in our hearts and in our minds and something that we need to uh, correct and allow God to make right in, in our hearts. And here's why I say this. The prophets and kings are being called out by God for the immorality and injustice they fostered in Israel because they've been focused on the wrong things. And we see modern examples of that, that today where we've had big named preachers and big named political leaders who've been celebrated by large groups of people for what they have accomplished the results they bring to the table that we can celebrate. We can say, hey, they've done some really good things, and that's amazing. They're perceived, you know, they give us the perceived benefit of being on the correct side, maybe, sometimes. And then somewhere along the way, and I can, we can think of all kinds of different examples, we find out that there was some secret, or in some cases not so secret, major character flaws that are either celebrated or ignored because at the time they garnered the desired results until we get to the point where they become so glaring and embarrassing and painful that they have to be dealt with. And God, God's line on that is not where oftentimes our line is on that. You know, we stomach a lot of that for a lot longer than God ever does or ever will. You know, we can celebrate good results from doing things in a godly manner. I mean, that's, that's wonderful. Let's celebrate those things as much as we can and give God the glory. But good results from immoral methods are never worth it. And they never take us where we think they're taking us. The nation of Israel had gotten into the habit of living life on their terms and paying God religious lip service. And so they would look at God and say, why are you angry? We're going to the temple we're making sacrifices, we're giving you our offerings, we're doing all the things you told us to do, right? We're, we're checking off the, box list and the, 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 uh, the boxes on the list. And God says, no, because you've con completely missed what each of those dis disciplines are meant to teach you and how they're meant to change your heart and make things right in your soul and your mind. And here's how God addresses this. And this is my favorite verse in Micah chapter six, it's verse eight, and this is a verse worth hanging up in your home, putting on your phone background, uh, writing uh, you know, on a note card and putting on your dashboard to remind you, uh, memorize this, keep, it keep, helps us keep a standard of the results that God is looking for. And this is what he says. Uh, this is what Micah says. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? If you ever wonder, you know, what is God's will in my life? Well, here you go. Here's, here's, a, here's a verse to give you that answer. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Those aren't results, by the way. Those are actions that God calls us into. It's the process of, of us being who God has created us to be and to do. He's the one who takes care of the results. For some of us, we're, we're going to have a hard time with that, you know, depending on how results-oriented that, that we are. But I, but for other, others of us who have seen where that takes us in our life, when we're solely only focused on the results and that our moods go up and down with however our results are going, 
Um, and if you've seen how, you know, sometimes, you know, us getting the results that we should get don't happen the way that they ought to because we live in a, in a world that's, that's broken, you know, it's, it's not fair. Um, man, that, that is such a freeing thing to know in our lives. And this is how God invites us to join him, to be with him in setting things right in the world as being part of and experiencing his judgment in the midst of what could have justifiably been just pure condemnation. You know, the book of Micah could have just been God saying, I'm going to destroy you. And yet every section that you end with in Micah ends with God giving hope and redemption and the promise for him to fulfill what he had always promised for, for his people. God always provides a way and a hope, and ultimately, this is the purpose of God as judge and the purpose of his judgment. God's judgment provides the way to hope, and it shows us how to participate in that hope. Eventually, the result of the systems of the world will let us down, but the promises of God's kingdom continues to be sustained no matter what. And we're called to participate in that justice. We're called to participate in that hope bringing through God's judgment in our life. As we, as we self-examine, as we repent of those things, maybe we get caught up in the world uh, sometimes and we, uh, and we turn our focus more to the kingdom of God, we get to participate in bringing that hope of God's judgment to the rest of the world. You know, we, uh, we've, uh, Adri has already mentioned it. We participate uh, in that every other Every other month, in, in one in one way, we do it in other ways uh, too. But we're we're just make, simply making meals and taking the people who otherwise might not have a meal for, for that day. And we're doing that uh, we're doing that this Saturday. And we'd love for you to be uh, participate that. We work with Fresh Start for single moms and their children. We work with Reef Granada, uh, you know, in a in a completely different country. We we do this in in uh, in different ways organizationally, but we're all called to do that individually too. That, that we get to help make things right in, in our lives, yes, but in the lives of other people too. And that's what God calls us into, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. And I just want to encourage you to find something this week to help make right. Let, let that be the way that you judge, <laughs> just, just like God, is that, that you help, help, to, help to make things right, to act justly, and something that's going on in your life or work or family or home, you know, whatever friendship, whatever it, it might be, act justly and, and you will grow to love mercy and you will walk humbly with God in, in your life. Let's pray. God, um, we, we, we live with so much of why we need to be together and why we're better together is, is that we, we need to be in a place that, uh, that we know is not openly antagonistic to how you've called us to live among each other. Um, God, we thank you for the community of the church that, that helps us to, to be a part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom that you're building through Jesus. God, help us to, to take that out into our personal lives because it's not, just, it's not just here where your kingdom exists. Your kingdom exists on the outside of these, these walls. Your kingdom exists in our families and in our workplaces and in our friendships and our hobbies and uh, the ways that we interact with, uh, w- with the world, what we, do, what we do with our lives. And God, help us to focus on your kingdom in those places as well. As much as we are focused in on it here in this moment, God, we ask that you lead us through your Holy Spirit uh, to see how, uh, how, how you judge the world is meant to, bring, meant to bring 
and eternal hope to all of humanity who you you have created to be with. God, help us to live that out as we go about our everyday lives and everyday moments. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.